0: As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, everybody. Good to see each of you. Whether you're in EHT, Cumberland, online, wherever you are, it's good that we can join together uh, to seek the Lord as his kids. So let's take a minute. Uh, let's stretch a minute just to, to loosen us up. Always helps to get the body loose uh, and get the spirit ready. So let's take a minute uh, and let's, let's just pray. Uh, let's ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the ability to gather uh, with one heart, one mind, that is to to love you, Lord, and to learn more of you. Uh, And we just thank you, Lord, for your word that is a lamp to our feet. So we're just asking, Holy Spirit, that you'd breathe upon the words on the page, make them alive. And I pray, Lord, that you would underline to each of us the specific verses that you want to use to address where we live personally. So, Lord, we just give you the time. We thank you ahead of time for speaking to us and touching our hearts. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read. Uh, It's a longer chapter. Numbers 14. Then all the congregation looked up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? And why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jeholem, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord do not fear the people of the land, for they are our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs that I have performed in their midst? I'll smite them with pestilence and dispossess them i'll make you into a nation greater and mightier than they but moses said to the lord then the egyptians will hear of it for they but for by thy strength thou didst bring up thy people from their midst and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land they have heard that thou o lord art in the midst of this people for thou o lord art seen eye to eye while thy cloud stands over them And thou dost go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou dost slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of thy fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as thou hast declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy loving kindness, just as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even unto now. So the Lord said, I pardon them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I'll bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites, the Canaanites, live in the valleys, Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I've heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, Just as you have been spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses shall fall in the wilderness, even all your number men, according to your complete number, for 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jehovah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I'll bring them in. And they shall know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. And your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. And they shall suffer for their unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days. For every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years. And you shall know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they shall die. As for the men who Moses sent to spy out the land, and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jeholam, remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. And when Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. But Moses said, Why then are you transgressing the command of the Lord when it will not succeed? Do not go up, that you be struck down before your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the swords, inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down, struck them, and beat them down as far as Hormah. Okay, that's a long chapter, but there's some real gems, I believe, in it. Okay, <clears throat> so to understand Numbers 14, I think we have to take a moment and jump back into Numbers 13. So just a, a mini recap. God told... The Israelites send 12 men, let them spy out the land, let them check it out. They did do that, and they found it was a luscious land. It was a just a very, very fruitful land. Uh, everything looked good, but there's always a but sometimes. In Numbers 13 and in verse 28, uh, it said this, Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, this is what some of the spies said. We saw the descendants of Anak there. And Anak was a big giant. So uh, they thought, okay, this is good. But uh, I don't think we can handle this. And if you look at 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. So they give a bad report. they come back, they share this negative report with the people of Israel and the people of Israel have a response a really clear response and that's where we pick it up today in 141 uh, basically then the congregation lifted up their voices, And they cried, and the people wept that night. Okay? Uh, You know, I think the people thought, hey, great, we're going into the promised land. Uh, Everything's going to be ducky. We'll go in. It'll be easy. No problems. But then they hear there's this big problem here. These big giants and the inhabitants of the land look overwhelming to them. So they weep. And, you know, it's okay. I think if you look at this, it's okay to weep sometimes. Just say, oh, man, this hurts. It hurts me inside. I'm disappointed. So we we are allowed to be human and have emotions. The problem is it went from just an emotional response of a letdown. The people started to get a bad attitude. And that's where everything goes south. Look what happens. They wept. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness. They grumbled. But you got to see here, and I think it's important, they didn't grumble just this one time. Like this was some kind of an exception to the rule. No, 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 no. If you look at verse 22, uh, it's very clear. It says, surely all the men who have seen my glory, this is God speaking, and my signs, which I perform amnegis in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice. God's saying, that's not an isolated incident, 10 times they've got this attitude of grumbling. And I thought it might be interesting, uh, To be able uh, to just take a quick glance at some of those, uh, and I'm just going to read them real quick. And you might want to write them down uh, to check this out. But I, if just let me read some of these real quick. Um, Exodus 14:11. Uh, basically, they're getting out of Egypt. <clears throat> Pharaoh and his troops are pursuing them at the Red Sea. And 14:11, it says this, and they said to Moses. Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? So number one, they're groaning like, look, you know, what's the deal? Why are you you doing this? Uh, Exodus 15 and verse 24. They come to Marah. They're thirsty and the water basically uh, is bitter. And here's the people's response. Exodus 15, 24. So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Uh, Exodus 16. And if you look at verses two uh, and three, they're upset because they're hungry again. 16, two. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Here they are. They're griping. You're going to let us starve to death, right? Um, and then in 17, Exodus 17, 2, uh, again, they're running short of water. Uh, and you, they ought to know that God provided water the last time. So, hey, they ought to trust that he do it again, but they don't. Exodus seventeen two. Therefore, the people quarrelled with Moses and said, "Give us water that we may drink." Moses said to them, "Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord?" Just a couple more. Uh, Jumping into Numbers eleven, and Numbers eleven verse one. Get us here. It says here. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord, and the Lord heard it. His anger was kindled. The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So God's not happy. They're grumbling. Numbers 11 and verse 10, they, they don't like manna. They get an attitude about this manna stuff, and Numbers 11 10, and Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families each at the doorway of his tent. In other words, they're whining, complaining about manna, And the anger of the Lord was greatly kindled, and Moses was displeased. And let me just give you one more, Numbers 12. One, The Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. So, okay, These are illustrations. So the Israelites, not one time, not two times, but 10 times, they just complain and they whine. Now, I don't know how you feel about whining and complaining, but when I hear a little kid whining and complaining, it's not a pretty sound. It's not pretty. Uh, And you want to almost tell the kid, like, keep your mouth shut. And you know. I know I'm guilty. If I look back over my life, there's times I've grumbled against the Lord and I've complained. Uh, I would wager to say on the screen here uh, that most of us have been there. We got upset with the Lord and began to get get throw a little hissy fit and get frustrated and get upset. So basically, uh, God's not really happy When people grumble and when they complain and when they're ungrateful. Uh, Look at 14 and verse 27. Here's God speaking. And he's saying basically to Moses, here he is. How long shall I bear with his evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. And he says the same thing in a sense in verse 11. Here it is. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? Spurn me means kind of like treat me cheaply, blow me off. But he goes on a little bit further. How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I performed in their midst? And in a sense, that's the central verse I really want to hammer in today that spoke to me, and and I think it'll speak to you as well. God's saying, how long don't my people get it? Why won't they trust me? How long will they not believe in me? And then, then the Lord says, because of all the signs I've given them, I'm not just asking them to step out in blind faith. I've proven myself in time and space that I'm a loving and I'm a faithful God. Think about it. He opens up the Red Sea. Now, that's not bad for a starter. They've literally seen God part the Red Sea. They've seen God destroy the Egyptians that are pursuing them. I mean, that's a miracle plus. Literally every day in the wilderness, they see this cloud, this during the day, a cloud and at night, a pillar of fire. And every day they're seeing this, this, this cloud, this pillar guide them through the wilderness every day, every single day, they can literally see this sign in the sky and they can see this thing move. So they obviously know that God's in their midst doing this. They've seen God open up a rock, and supply water when they're thirsty. They've seen God provide on a daily basis manna that just seems to appear on the ground. At one point, if we look at other parts, uh, we see that at one point, he allows all these quail to fall in the camp. I mean, lots and lots of quail to give them meat. And here's a real clincher. He says to them, your clothes and your shoes are not going to wear out for 40 years. How would you like to get some shoes and clothes like that? Think about it. 40 years, their clothes don't wear out. I mean, how does that happen? Their shoes do not wear out. And God's given these little neon signs all over the place to them. Hey, here I am, guys. I'm not just saying step out here and you you can't get a handle of what I'm doing. I'm doing this right before your eyeballs. I'm performing miracle after miracle after miracle. And God says, I don't get it. I've done this. And you still won't believe me. You still won't trust me. <clears throat> so I hear the Lord saying, you know, why? 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 Now, you know, I think it's easy for us maybe at times to throw stones at the Israelites and say, man, they are thick. They are dumb. Like, what is their problem? They are really, really messed up. But we're guilty. I'm guilty of the same griping and complaining at times as they. And think about this. We know all the miracles that they know. But, folks, we even have a greater revelation than they. They never, never heard clearly about the Son of God that would come. They never knew of a Jesus. They never had an opportunity to read the Gospels like us, to actually see the miracles that Jesus performed. They didn't know the great facts Of history, that Jesus literally died on a cross to prove his love to them and then literally was resurrected from the grave. They didn't have the book of Revelation to show them, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this Jesus who's resurrected is coming back again and that he's already won the battle and that we're more than victors. We have so much more revelation than the Israelites back in the Old Testament. And yet, at times, with all these signs, we at times can doubt god and so easily doubt can turn into grumbling and complaining so so what's what's the problem with the israelites back then so what's what's our problem today and i think the problem really centers in on if you look at verse 3 So here's what the people say. And I think this is what we say at times. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So what's the problem? The problem is, and it's been a problem everybody has faced in humanity. It's the biggest stumbling block, I guess, to most people in regards to God and his love is why, Lord, I don't understand. Why are you allowing me to suffer? Lord, why are you allowing me to go through pain? Lord, why are you permitting physical pain in my life? Why are you permitting mental pain that I can't make sense of what's going on? Why, why, Lord, are you permitting emotional pain that just seems to overwhelm me like a flood? Why, Lord? Why? Why do you let me suffer spiritually when I can't connect the dots? God, what are you up to? And I think many of us could say this, Lord, when I signed up to be a Christian, you know, We invite people at the end of the service, come forward, make a commitment to Christ, you know, lift up your hand, come forward at the end, we'll pray with you. I think many people sign up to be Christians, figuring that, okay, now that I'm a Christian, everything is going to be fine. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. Everything's going to kind of be easy. You know, I, I made a commitment to Jesus. Now it all ought to go just right, kind of like the way I'd like it to go. So then I asked myself the question, and I'll ask you, so why why do we doubt? Why do we grumble? And I think the primary reason that happens back then to Israel and why us is we can't make sense of the fact that a loving and a good God can allow us to go through pain. Let me say it again. I think the greatest struggle is we say God's loving. We say God's good. Jesus is a good shepherd. Then, Lord, why, for heaven's sake, are you letting me go through this hell, this struggle, this pain, this heartache? Like, what is it? The two just don't compute. But it's interesting to me that Jesus never promised us a road garden. Rose garden. No. He never said it would be easy. Listen to this. John 16, Jesus said this. <clears throat> in the world, you will have tribulation. Okay? Jesus laid it right out there. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say, just follow me and everything's going to be just a cakewalk. No, no, no. He said, in the world... There will be tribulation because he knew this world was a fallen world. It was a twisted world when Adam and Eve went south. And because we're in a fallen world, there is going to be pain and heartache and sorrow as we journey through. Not only did Jesus say that, <clears throat> but Paul echoed those same thoughts in Acts fourteen twenty-two. Paul says this, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say through one or two. He said, no, no, through many tribulations. Tribulation is, man, like it's a tight spot and it's painful and it's stressful and there's tons of pressure. He says through many. And guess what? I mean, I know I can say, yeah, I get it. I've had my share and I bet everybody on the screen that you've had your share of tribulations and pain and heartache. Everybody. I don't think anybody is unscathed, at least that I've had a chance to meet over my lifetime. So our equation is a good God will allow no suffering. And yet we're told in Isaiah 55, this is what God says. Note what he says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's saying, you know what? I don't think the way you think. My ways are higher. They're different than your ways. And I think what God is saying here is I operate in a different way than you do. Excuse me. I think God would say because I'm loving and good. Because I'm loving and good, I have to allow hard times in your life. Let me say that again. Think about it carefully, slowly. God says, because I'm loving and good, I have to allow hard times in your life. And you might ask, well, well, Lord, what's the deal? Why do you allow hard times and struggles and pain and heartache in our life? Like, what's the deal? And I think I'd hear the Lord say these things. Sometimes I allow pain and suffering in my life because it's the way I can get you closer to me. And think about our lives. How easy it is for us to drift through life. How easy it is to put God on the back burner. How easy it is to take God for granted when everything's just going right. But my observation is I'm the closest to God when I go through the struggles and the pain. There's something about these. It's a wake-up call, and I think I'm slow, and I would say humans are slow as a whole to get close to God. So God kind of has to get our attention and allow some hard times to bring us back to himself. So I think God allows Hard times sometimes just to draw us closer. Sometimes he allows hard times so that we can empathize with others. I can empathize now with somebody that has lost a spouse. I lost Barbara. Now I I can enter into somebody else's world that has lost a loved one. Or somebody maybe, in another case, lost a child. Now now they can empathize and say, I I really understand where you're at. I can love you and support you because I know where you are. Somebody maybe has gone through a divorce. I haven't. But if you have, you can identify with the heartache of somebody else where a spouse broke up with you. So God allows sometimes hard times just so we can really feel the pain of others and love them and care for them. I think sometimes God allows hard times to build our faith. Again, I think my faith has grown the most, not when the sun is shining bright, but it's in the rainy, cloudy turbulent days that my faith has been stretched. I know that in the loss of my wife. That loss brought me closer to God than any time of my life. That loss built my faith stronger than any other time in my life. I think God sometimes allows trials and tribulations because he's trying to build patience so that we can learn to trust his time, not our time. God's timing is totally different and. He's trying to teach us, okay, trust me. I know what I'm doing in this situation. Trust me. I think sometimes in a short, Jesus is allowing hard times to teach us to love our enemies. Or just to love, period. To love him. To love others. In short, hard times make us look like Jesus. There is no shortcut. When you go and you raise your hand and say, "Okay, I believe in Jesus, there's no shortcut where instantaneously you just can snap your fingers and boom, you look like Jesus. I believe it takes the journey of sunny days and rainy days, good times and bad times to mold us and shape us to look more and more like Jesus. So what I hear God saying in all this struggle that we go through as humans trust me. Trust me that I see the big picture, even if you don't. Trust me that I know what I'm doing with your life, even if you don't. Hear that again. God is saying, I believe to us, trust me, I know what I'm doing. You may not understand it at a given point. Joseph in the Old Testament, when he stuck and lied uh, about in a situation, by uh, Potiphar's wife, he's thrown into prison. None of it made sense, not at that point. We need to see a big picture because we can get lost in this little picture of our pain and we lose our perspective. And it's easy then to begin to doubt and to grumble. So I hear the Lord saying, basically, no, beyond a shadow of a doubt, That if I allow pain and hardship to enter your life, know that I love you and I'm good and I will work good in this situation. And there's the struggle. When our situation looks painful and we can't make sense of it mentally and emotionally, we're going through a ringer. At that point, doubt knocks at the door. But we have to pull that doubt captive and again reaffirm our trust in the Lord that he's working a good plan for us I think one of the greatest illustrations of when things don't make sense and how God redeems them you think about it when Jesus was nailed to the cross and the disciples saw that they had to be saying this is the worst day of Jesus life They had to be thinking when they heard about his death and saw it, they had to be feeling this is the worst day of our lives. I mean, our hopes have gone up in the air. This is horrendous. Throw the towel in like, no, I'm done. And yet the worst day became the best day because it was through the death of Jesus that you and I got saved. God took the worst and made it the best. And I think God said, in human history, I've proven that I am for you, and I'm not again. I've proven it on the cross. You may not get anything else, but I think Jesus would say, anchor your faith that in history, I came, and I died, and I proved that I'm for you. So God took the worst. The crucifixion made it the best. And I don't know where you are are." on the journey you may be struggling somewhere and like life is not working well and it's painful you feel you're going through a crucifixion let me say a word to you if you keep the faith a resurrection is coming okay you may feel like you're in the crucifixion now but just the way God brought resurrection to Jesus he'll bring that to you trust him Trust that he loves you, trust that he's good, trust his timing that it's absolutely better. So important to trust God because in Hebrews eleven six it says it's impossible to please God without faith. We see unbelief upsets God, but as we're beginning to wrap up here, there's something else that gets God upset. Unbelief, even though he's proven himself in time and space and history, Gets God upset, but there's something else that gets him upset, and it's alluded to in Numbers 14.9. And here's what uh, Moses says. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear that. Here's the biggie. Only do not Rebel do not rebel in other words don't get an attitude don't doubt don't complain and as you doubt and complain it just naturally leads to like i'm sick of it i'm sick of the faith i'm sick of you lord you didn't come through with the goods the way i thought you would i'm done with you i'm gonna do my own thing that's a scary place to be And God's not happy when we rebel because we're basically saying, I'm God, you God, get out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to run my own show. And God said, that's a bad attitude. And there's going to be a consequence. Look at verse 29. He said this to the people as they whined and complained, your corpses shall fall in the wilderness, even all your number men, according to the complete number from 20 years old and upward, you have rumbled against me. God said, you're all going to die. You're all going to die. Rebellion is dangerous. It costs them something. And guess what? Rebellion costs us something, too, in the New Testament. We're called the Father of the Lord. Remember this. Jesus, when he encountered some fishermen, Peter, Andrew, what did he say? Follow me. He then saw James and John. He said the same thing follow me. He got Matthew, the tax collector, and he said the same thing follow me. So, what God's basically saying is, I'm asking you to follow me fully. But unfortunately, we have free will and we can say, God, get out of here. I don't want you involved in my life. And God honors free will. And if we maintain that attitude of resistance against God, And we can do that flagrantly with a fist, or we can just be a nice person. But still, I want to run my own show. Don't mess with me. Then God says, I'll honor your free will. And the sad thing is, God will honor it. And if we maintain that attitude when we die, the Bible says there's a heaven, but there's also a hell. Does God want anybody to go to hell? Absolutely not. He's done everything he can. On the cross to open the door to heaven he's knocked through a lifetime on people's hearts but if they say no 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 then God says okay in a sense then you don't want me now then you're not going to have me forever I will put you in hell which is separation from God forever but there's some people that had a different attitude than the Israelites as we wrap up here look at verse 30 Uh, surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jehotham, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay, all the Israelites die off except the kids and these two older men, Joshua and Caleb. Why does God allow them to enter and not the other folks? And here's the answer, verse 24. But my servant, Caleb, because he has had a, here it is, a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I'll bring him the land which he uh, entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. God said, I love Caleb. I love Joshua. Why? Because they followed me fully. They followed me fully. In other words, it's saying, they've let me be Lord. They're letting me call the direction of their lives. And friends, that's the key that makes a difference in your life and mine. We can say that we love the Lord, but are we following him fully? Are we surrendered to the point that with whatever God asks us to do, are we willing to stop our agenda and say, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, I'm willing to let go and do whatever you ask. That makes a difference and brings a joy in our Christian walk. There's an old hymn I used to sing uh, when I was a Methodist pastor, and I kind of thought it was a neat one. It's called Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's some Christians that don't show a lot of joy in their face. There's a lot of Christians that don't show a lot of peace in their faith. They use the name Christian but it doesn't show in their life. The Bible is very clear. If you want to experience real joy and real peace, there's two things you got to do. And we've talked about them very clearly here in Numbers 14. We've got to trust. Trust God with every single area of your life, whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationships, whether it's the hard times, the good times. It's learning to trust him in everything. And as on a little side, your trust will only be as strong as your knowledge of the Lord. The more you know the Lord, the more you'll trust him. So if you have a trust issue, push in and get to know the Lord more intimately. But as I said, if you really want to know joy and peace, trust him and then obey him. Be willing to do whatever he asks you to do and know that if you follow him, that will be the blessed place to be the best place and the blessed place to be is in the center of his will great lessons from numbers 14 and uh, let's pray the israelites story Lord, we can learn from their story because lives mirrored in them Uh, they went through a wilderness and lord in a sense The life we go through is a wilderness. It's not. It's not an easy way, Lord. Everybody here is in a wilderness, in a sense. This world is not a happy place. It's a fallen world. It's twisted because of Satan. And Lord, like the Israelites, we're going to be tested just the way they would be, and we will encounter hard times and times that don't make sense, and times it looks like you're not loving and good. Times maybe when we feel that you've forsaken us. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn from the Israelites. Help us, Lord, to learn to trust you no matter what. Help us, Lord, when we waver in doubt, that be anchored in the cross where you have in time and space proven that you love us and that you're for us. And Lord, help us not only to trust you, Lord, in the journey of life, but help us to obey, Lord, Uh, help us to follow you, Lord. Not because we have to, but because we want to. If you loved us and did all that we've heard about, why wouldn't we want to follow you and give you every part of our lives? So, Lord, I just pray for each of my brothers and sisters. I don't know where they are in the journey, uh, but Lord, give them grace. uh, Give them mercy. Give them your wisdom. Uh, And Lord, build into every one of us as a community of faith, build our faith, Lord, make it strong. And Lord, help us to keep you as Lord and be willing to do whatever you ask us to do this day and every day. And it's in your holy and powerful name we ask it, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. Enter the promised land. Don't stay in the wilderness.